Right, so uh, what did you have for breakfast today? No, oh, gee, how wanky is this? An SIE bowl. <laughs> <laughs> and the day before as well. It was just because uh, it's um, it's because you just have way too much McDonald's on the road. Yeah. That's the reason. Fair enough. You're trying to, I guess, even uh, even the table now. If you can. <laughs> you really feel it on your body if you have McDonald's even like two days in a row, right? But when you have it 11 days in a row... <laughs> It's it's like the guy from Super Size Me. You can actually feel your innards turning into putty. You know. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh how how inst- <laughs> how Instagram healthy of you. Welcome to the Uncommon Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Michaelides, and our producer is Lauren Lepatko. Together, we're the co-founders of Neural, and we created this podcast to build your knowledge, skills, and mindset, which will ultimately make both you and I more effective in our lives. We do this by interviewing unique individuals or covering interesting topics, which some of those have included VC and hedge fund managers, bodybuilders, scientists, comedians, entrepreneurs, and chefs, to just name a few. You'll notice that our style is very much conversational, one-on-one, and can go from 45 minutes up to two hours long. And the format is very much inspired by the likes of Tim Ferriss, Joe Rogan, and particularly Charlie Rose. If you'd like to learn more about previous guests, just head to neural.com slash podcast, that is N-E-U-R, com slash podcast and you'll find our episode index. Now, if you enjoyed this episode, what I'd like you to do is subscribe on your podcast app. Subscribing will give you priority access and help your fellow-minded listeners find the podcast. The second thing, and this is probably the most important thing that I'd like you to do, is share the episode. So if you have a friend who you believe would enjoy this particular episode, you can easily share across social media or your messaging apps. This will go a long way to build our audience and particularly hope help both you and I get more esteemed guests on the show. Don't forget to like us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. It's just at Neural. You'll see that we have upcoming promotions for episodes and content that we offer each week. In this episode, I have for you Jordan Shanks, aka Friendly Geordies, who is a comedian, radio host, YouTuber, and creator. You have no doubt seen the extent of comedians that we've hosted on this podcast, including Neil Kolhatka, Titus O'Reilly, Tom Ballard, and Jordan. I strongly believe that in this moment in time in particular, politically, comedians play an indispensable role in keeping both the media and public discourse in check. So in this new digital media world where there's so much content being distributed, that I think that the real value in future will come from these people that we trust. This group of comedians, including Jordan, should form what I'm starting to call our council of bullshit detectors. So while everyone is paranoid about skin color and social justice and being excruciatingly politically correct, these people are keeping it real about legitimate topics that require discussion and challenging the current process of just blindly following groupthink, whether it's on social media, at work, or in your personal life. It's important then that both you and I 
are able to get a mix of comedians that have certain political biases. Not that we may agree with some, but so that they'll challenge our viewpoints on others. Jordan is unabashedly biased about his political leanings to the left, and he will challenge any conservative with sound rationalism across many a topics. I have personally loved Jordan's Friendly Geordie's channel since YouTube existed in my life, and I find that his work is hilarious. It doesn't surprise me that with such, I guess, an intelligent infotainment style that Jordan has coined, uh, he's brought further sides to his creative work, in particular now radio hosting on Breakfast Radio and his life advice channel, Jordan Shanks. His life advice channel in particular has been incredibly refreshing and a real contrast to many comedians, showing that he is always focused on being better or bettering himself as an individual. I think that intelligent and truthful comedians are important to our future and Jordan will be a crucial piece of that bullshit council that I spoke about. I hope this conversation convinces you as to why that is the case. Uh, In terms of key topics we covered, this includes his modeling past, which will surprise some, uh, our obsession with Japan and South Korea and Asia in general. Uh, We spoke about the first time he realized he was funny, influences politically in his style. We spoke about new media, the greats of AM radio, uh, his creative process for Friendly Geordies, and then political biases, political frustrations, and how he got into the self-help style of stuff. Uh, so I think this will be very good for anyone who has enjoyed our previous podcast on politics and comedy and, I guess, bullshit detection. In terms of other episodes, as I said, we've recorded with Tom Ballard and Neil Kohatkar. So Tom's was episode 36 and Neil episode 27. In those, we spoke about politics, comedy, and for Neil, satire as well. So if you want the show notes, just head to our index at neural.com slash podcast. But I thank you for listening. And I really do hope you enjoy this conversation with Jordan Shanks. We're definitely live now. <laughs> Jordan, look, I appreciate you uh, joining me on your whirlwind tour of the East Coast. The no, moment. Victoria. Just Victoria. Well, I don't know where Ballarat and Bendigo is. It might be on the coast, but it sounds <laughs> like it's... You don't mind for gold at a beach, do no, you? No, you definitely don't. <laughs> <laughs> so wherever that is. Uh, Central Victoria. Right, yeah. So it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's a rural tour. Yeah. Now... um. I guess uh, as an icebreaker, are you still modelling these days? <laughs> uh, man, no, actually, I'm not. When was, when was the last time that I did? It was probably it was probably four years ago now. Uh, you stop as, as as a male model. The reason why you stop or you continue, I guess, is you probably get about paid as much as someone who works at Macca's until you're about forty. Really? It's really weird. Yeah. Girls, it's the other way around. They get paid. To give you an idea, I guess, the top male model in the world earns about $600,000 a year. And the top female model earns $50 million a year. Shit. And so, <laughs> the, so basically, you just get paid nothing, nothing, nothing. And then all of a sudden, all the Cadillac ads start coming in and stuff when you're a silver fox, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Jeep so, pays a lot. So you were basically you weren't willing to do the yards to become a silver fox. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty much it. I couldn't be bothered moisturizing. That's why I stopped. Yeah, I just I found it so funny watching uh there was a a, a short film, I don't know who made it. I, 
I'll have to link it later, but it was Jordan Shanks behind the beauty. I just thought that How was. How did you find that? That's yeah, incredible research. Google, uh, Google is a fascinating thing. <laughs> <laughs> we yeah. do, we do no evil, they say. <laughs> <laughs> Except that you can just find absolutely everything about someone. It's crazy. True that. No, um, that was that was yeah. Again, years ago. Yeah. Good on you for watching it. Well, uh, tell me, tell <laughs> me this: huge. was the uh, was the the top point of your career, rubbing a squid on your face on K-pop television. That wasn't part of modelling, but that is the <laughs> height of my comedic career, definitely. <laughs> and the reason why is because, in, first of all, it caused the camera guy who was panning in to vomit. Really? Yes. Shit. In front of me. So that's that, that was great. But then the other thing is, and this has got to be the highest compliment a comedian's ever received... One of the dancers in the back was laughing so much that she broke her rib. What? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Isn't that incredible? That's, that's as good as it gets because after that it would be very – imagine if she just like laughed so hard that she became a paraplegic. That would be too much, right? But a, a, a rib's healable and I hope she did well. <laughs> what? So how did this all come about? Tell me about this whole K-pop thing. That, that was ridiculous. Ridiculous because basically UNSW paid us to make a video to attract international students to UNSW. So obviously we use K-pop. But the thing was the guy that I the guy that they chose to direct it is probably the most extreme artist I've ever met. And so he just basically he, he just made it horrific. It was basically one of those exploitation films from the 70s, like Cannibal Corpse or something, but with a K-pop track. How so? No international student is going to be attracted to that. That only attracts people that go to Kofa. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, yeah, so I, 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 that, that, was, that, was, that was pretty much it. It was, it was not really a K-pop film towards the end. And right. it was very, very confronting for the dancers that thought that that's what they were there for. Wow. So this, why why a squid? And you were covered in black ink. Because that was just my idea. It was just I, I thought it would be great to see very attractive Asian women happily dancing and then you just go, you just go into the corner and there's a manic man just ripping a squid apart. <laughs> just quickly zoom in on him and then pad back to them. Oh, man. Uh, I don't think uh, I don't think I'll forget that. I genuinely thought it you was K-pop. I thought <laughs> <laughs> like we we went to me and my partner. We're um, what would you call us? Japanophiles? Is that what you call it? But we what love. What are they go- called again? There there is a name for them. I'd, I'd categorize myself as one, but it's very derogatory. <laughs> is it? <laughs> but Shit. it's just, yeah, it's just it's just white people that are obsessed with Japan, and uh, yeah, I'm I'm in there as well. Like we um we had been for years beforehand. We pretty much only ate. Mainly Japanese food, a little bit of it's European much stuff. The best, isn't it? It's the best. And then, so we went there, and we're like, "Fuck, this place is amazing!" And you, you just have all sorts of crazy while you're there. And we loved it so much. We're going back in January, so it's like eighteen months in between. You get very it's... obsessed with it. Mm. That in Korea, but Japan especially. There's something in those mountains, I reckon. Some <laughs> dark spirit. There's something I don't know what it is. Is it the monoculture, like how they all just sort of view themselves as one? You're just this wandering stranger through their 
society or is it? I mean, also on top of that, yes, that's true. But their society is so much more complex than the West is. Oh, yeah. And you don't. You don't, you realize, dude, it was basically the same when I was on uh, exchange in Korea for a year. I came back with more questions than I had answers. <laughs> same. I think that's why we're going back. I think, yeah. And I think actually when I talk to Japanese people and Koreans, obviously they understand it better themselves, but they still don't really understand their societies. Yeah. And that's not to say that it's the greatest place on earth. Like, you know, you go there and you're like, fuck, like there's some really depressing things about this place. Like, True. You know, the the what thing that got the thing that got me was the um the vegetable men in Japan. It's like these men had just become such I don't know, shells of what they could be because they just thought life was a bit too hard. It was so bizarre. Have you heard about Oh, you're this? talking about vegetarians, the guys that don't have sex anymore? Yeah, the guys who don't have sex, they they live in their parents' house and they don't, they pretty much yes. don't leave their room. That's it. That's yeah. it. Um, and also, like a few documentaries on, like, um, there's a game over there and it's like a romance game. And these guys pretty much believe that they're dating this woman. And right. to the point where, like, there's wedding ceremonies, people will marry this, this female character from this game. And it's about dating this, this woman. Is that right? Yeah, and that sort of stuff is just, it's crazy to me. It is far too foreign. Yeah. Having said that, anime characters are hot. (laughs) Um, Like, still, yeah, it's, it, 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 I don't think I could take the leap into marrying a sex doll. No. I don't understand how that happened in their culture. It might, it might just be because they're way too civil now. Yeah, and too serious. And too serious. Yeah. Could be the case. But it, it is a country of extremes because there's that and then there's extremely sex-crazed areas of Tokyo. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, again, it's, it's, it's a very mysterious place. <laughs> Do you have a particular favourite place that you like to visit in Japan or Korea? My favourite place that I like, I don't know why, I've got such an affinity with these kind of places, just dying industrial areas I really like. Uh, And that is probably a city, I think it's about an hour away from the second biggest city, which is Pusan. But theirs is Ulsan. And I have no idea why I like it there. It's got the highest concentration of lead in the air of anywhere in Asia. God. And I love it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I don't know why. I have no idea. But it's, uh, yeah, uh, I, I like the fact that it's kind of, I guess it's just like a country town, except for with high rises. That's it. So that it, it's just a small concentration of people, but still, because they're so used to living like little ants, have to still build high rise. <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> yeah, I like things like that. I guess. Do you like the dystopianness of it? Is that maybe it? Yes, Korea is very much Blade Runner. Yeah, uh, I, I don't really know much about Japan because I've only been there for maybe two days. But you know, you meet a lot of Japanese expats. The same thing. Just how like a lot of white people are obsessed with Japanese culture. Koreans have that same thing with Japanese people. Yeah. They're obsessed with their culture, and they're just like, "Okay, that's a bit weird." You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, tell me this: When did you realize you were funny? Uh, probably when I was five and I was in a play and 
I realized, uh, I don't know, there was just some inclination in the back of my head that I was on stage and it wasn't supposed to be a, a funny role. It was just the Cyclops in the Iliad. Um, and anyway, something in the back of my head was just like, oh, no, you're losing him, Charlie. And so I started <laughs> fucking up on purpose on stage, which was really focus-pulling. But as soon as you just realize that, I think, it's just every time there's a tension on you, you get better over it over the years, I guess, but just any time there's ever in class or something like that and people put attention on you, if you have this inclination to just be like, got to say something funny, I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why, but that's that, that was there from a very young age. Yeah. I, I know that I've always had that. I wouldn't necessarily say I'm a comedian, though. But, um, yeah, I wonder. Yeah. It, it's funny. Like, a lot of comedians say, um, I've got this, and it's generally like you're trying to externalize, you know, your yourself and, and get feedback from people. But I don't know. There's a lot of comedians which are quite introverted as well. And I think they're usually the better ones. I don't like extroverts because I, I I don't like watching comedians that are clearly there for attention seeking and there's <laughs> and there's a huge difference and I'd say eighty percent of them are that and then there's twenty percent that are there that are just trying to do they're basically trying to hone an art I suppose that's with all all art I guess but yeah. that's th- those are the good ones and usually they're the introverts because they're thinking deeper about it yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know which category I fall into. I hope I'm the second one, but I'm probably not. <laughs> <laughs> how did how did all this take its natural progression? Where did you start to get to here? Uh, okay, so then by that, by about high school, I reckon it was just natural for me to just fall into the class clown thing. And then obviously they came up with this high school competition called class clowns. And I went (laughs) in that did well, lost to a midget. I still hold it against small people to this day. (laughs) (laughs) I honestly think there's a conspiracy that they have against me personally. It's like two times they've screwed me over in the entertainment world. Uh, Yeah, so basically uh, after that, uh, yeah, so then then after that, that was just pretty much it, I guess. I just thought, well, I should probably just keep honing this. Because uh, it's it's just one of those things. I think it's just um, you figure out what you can do, not what you want to do. And I think that I can do that. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a good way of putting it. Like finding your competencies. I think a lot of people are. Uh, I don't know. They don't. They don't. They miss that. You know that whole aspect. Exactly. They're like, oh, exactly. I want to do the job of my dreams. And then the they common get to one. Be- is, I want to be a director. <laughs> Yeah, but you're not. Like, you've just seen a bunch of movies, dickhead. Like you don't. Yeah. <laughs> you don't see the world differently. Yeah, be a producer or something. But it's it's like uh, for a while because when I was at uni, I was like seriously considering being a wine waiter or a winemaker because that's what I was doing as um, my job while I was studying. Mm. And uh, yeah, by the end of it, I was just completely burnt out. And I fucking hated it. And it also mm. wasn't the greatest thing I was good, you know, good at. I was good at it, but you know, I wasn't the most competent at it. There were so many other people who were better. If that makes sense. Yeah. No, that's exactly it. Yeah. There's, well, there's two. Yeah. There's twofold of it. If you are, I, I think actually that's a really good thing. Obviously, human beings have that bias in their head that they think they're better at everything than what they are. That's part of being a human being. But I'm pretty sure that there's also a thing of you can compare how good you are to other people quite 
fairly, I think, as in like you deep down know if someone's better at you than something mm. and you deep down know if you're better at other people than it. And if you're better than the vast majority of people that you come across that are trying to do what you do, then you should pursue that. Yeah. If you- so that's really smart of you, I reckon, that you were just like, no, okay. <laughs> and also on top of that, just the fact that you felt that you were energy drained at the end of it. Yeah. I, I, it boggles my mind to this day that people do that. Things that when they come home afterwards, they need to watch TV to recharge themselves. Oh, yeah, that's crazy. It's such a waste of life. Yeah, I um, I mean, I get told I work a bit too much, but... No, that's, I think if, if, you're a, if you're a workaholic, that's mad. Yeah. <laughs> that's you, awesome. You probably enjoy what you're doing in exactly. some ways. Yeah, yeah I like... Um, uh, Warren Buffett has this thing about tap dancing to work. And, I mean, when you hear someone speak with that conviction about what they're doing, you sort of really get the point that, okay, you really should be doing something where you feel that conviction about doing it. Mm. And even if it means going back to a shitty place at, th- at the start and then working your way up to it. Like I think actually you said in mm. one of – um, what was it? It, was, it must have been the time management video and you were like, um, if you study something – like you, you become the guy about cyclones mm. and you read about cyclones for like seven years. Mm. Then you're the person that CNN calls up, mm. <laughs> pays mm. X amount mm. or, you know, you mm. get paid some ridiculous amount just for being the person about cyclones. Yeah. But I think that is important because, um, you know, people, let's say they've got like all these goals, they go and list them out and it's like a list of 20 and like, okay, I'm going to focus on these 20 goals for my life. It's like, no, just whittle it down to like five. And then maybe you focus on all those five or you focus on two of those and you just do those things for your life. Yeah. And just enjoy it. Yeah, on rotation. Yeah. And that's basically it. I, I don't know. There, it was actually from some movie that wasn't particularly good. <laughs> but it had this one line about this uh, soldier that just liked uh, cutting the red wires on bombs in Iraq. That was his thing in life. And then he was just talking to his baby who as soon as he picked up the rattle, the baby wanted that rattle, and then he picked up, I don't know, just a little toy hammer or something, and then the baby wanted that ra- that hammer. And he was just saying that, like, you know, when you're younger, you do th- just, just purely because of your imagination, I guess, as a kid, you enjoy doing a lot of different things. But the older you get, you only have, like, one or two passions in life. <laughs> And those are basically the successful people is, is pretty much the ones that just go, I'm not going to not do the thing that I like doing. Yeah. And that's, <laughs> that's pretty much it. That's an important point, isn't it? It's uh, what am I not going to do? And I yeah. think people yeah. who know that are probably the people who are going to be uh, successful. Yeah, that's pretty it's, – it's, it's exactly that. Yeah. That's, that's the raw – you can't strip it down any further than that. There's three things that in each profession that you should just be doing over and over again – and the people that stick to the discipline of doing those three things over and over again get ahead. Yeah. It's a pattern. How, um, t- tell me this. Yeah. How did, you did class clowns and you got your way up and you started doing stand-up first or videos first? Stand-up first. I was not an early adapter to YouTube. It was maybe 2013 that my friend said, you can make money off it. And I go, really? Tell me more about this YouTube. <laughs> I barely knew it existed, barely. I, I, I was aware of the name, and then after that I started going towards it because it's clearly just a superior way of getting your product out. Is Why work your way up in that 80s thing of talking to a bunch of drunks that do not care you exist, are pissed off that you're like 
taking precious attention away from dogs racing in a television. That is not the people that you should be trying to impress. Yeah, I um, oh, someone said this recently. I think it was actually Tom Ballard. He was like, when he first started out, he was like, yeah, said the same thing. I am not going to do. He got a gig. He's one of his first gigs was like at a local pub down in Warrnambool because mm. he lived in Warrnambool, and he's like, yeah, like it was terrible. It was the one we we're talking about bombing, and he was like, this is horrendous, and. I, he realized that is the type of thing I will never do again because these people just don't give a shit. And they're not my target audience. That's exactly it. Yeah. That's you got to find your niche, mm. especially when it comes to any art, I guess. But, yeah, that's pretty much it. But I do have immense respect, and I think that the generation of comedians that was maybe – Actually, you know what? I think Gen X, they're the shittest comedians that I've seen in a long time. They're terrible. Uh, I think it's just because they have to – they're so into jumping through hoops to get on TV. But I think that the the generation before that, the baby boomers – They've already gone, done all the jumps through the hoops and, you know, they, they still got spat out towards the end and now they're bitter about it. And also they just don't give a shit about it anymore. <laughs> and they're much funnier. And it could be just a thing of comedians when they're older, they've seen more things and they've experienced more. And I definitely think that there's an aspect of that. But it's also they spent years grinding it out in shit pubs where no one gave a shit about them. Yeah. And so the command they have on stage and and where they're willing to go in terms of blue comedy, whereas now you see a lot of younger comedians, and I try and keep away from this, but you always feel the pressure of just like, I'm saying exactly what you want to hear. Yeah, of, yeah. And, and that's shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I think Neil was talking about this. He hates that. I, yeah. I, it is frustrating. Like it seems that every poli- – every um, – <laughs> every comedian or a lot of popular comedians have become like the groundswell for social activism on about every single topic. It's gross. As opposed and to just yes. yeah, just being comedians. And they're not qualified for it. And they're clearly that's that's the other thing that I think is really separates a good comedian from a bad comedian. It just you know you wanted advice, Jordan. Here you go. Uh I honestly think that this is the big differentiation between good ones and bad ones. Good ones try and tell jokes and try and seek approval from the audience. I mean, bad ones, sorry. Good ones, they try and persuade the audience that they're right. <laughs> that's that's the difference. Yeah. Because they're passionate about something and they try and bring you along with the ride. And if it fails, it's hilarious. And if it succeeds, everyone's just, you know, like he's like, he's right, he's right, he's <laughs> telling it like it is. <laughs> You win either way. Yeah. No, that, it's I, a lose game when you just become this kind of like white man. <laughs> it's and it, and it's gross and it's really unoriginal and it's basically because you're just treading the same territory over and over again because you're scared of saying things that other you haven't heard other people say. Yeah. So you just become a carbon copy of everybody else. It's it's the antithesis of art. Yeah, I. It's so true when you go on things like YouTube and you see the famous, you know, international comedians and they've got like a snippet for a certain bit. Like a good example would be Jim Jeffries' gun control. Mm. You know, like he has really thought that one out mm. really well. Mm. Like mm. covered so many points that people have never, I've never heard anyone mm. cover. Mm. And it just makes you go, well, fuck, can't really disagree, can I? <laughs> that's where you want to be you're yeah. so right that's yeah. that's that's a really good way of putting it at yeah. the end of a good comedy piece that's what you want to that's what you want to be thinking 
I can't disagree. Or you want to go back home afterwards and really be talking about it. Like that's mm. me and my partner. We mm. love um, going to, to shows like that. Like I used to love um, <clears throat> Dan Carlin or George Carlin, sorry. Mm. He was uh, he was fucking brilliant. I like uh, Will Anderson has done some good shows where it's really made you question things. Um, who else? I'm trying to think that there's actually not been too many that have come out to Australia, but you get a lot of specials no, yeah. on uh, on uh, Netflix. Like a good one recently was that whole uh, Joe Rogan. I don't think he's the funniest guy, but he had a bit on uh, Caitlyn Jenner mm. and the whole Women of the Year award thing. And this that is was, his most famous bit, isn't it? It, ha- it must be, yeah. Mm. And it was a, it was a fascinating. I was like, fuck, mate, he's right, eh? This is one of the exactly. dumbest things I've ever heard. Her winning <laughs> fucking woman of the year award. He was like, okay, so there's this woman. She works at University of California, Berkeley. Look what she's discovered. And that goes on to talk about what she's discovered. It's like, what, she couldn't fucking win it? <laughs> we had to choose a fucking Kardashian? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's basically it. That's, that's, the other, that's the other massive win towards the end of it as well is not only is it better territory for laughs because that's really where the highest ones are is where you're really treading the line of it being way too offensive for the audience and for something for them to just push over what they would normally perceive as acceptable. Yeah. That's that's where all the rewards are. I think that that's why comedy is so good because if it's offensive, you don't laugh. Mm. You know, mm. you're just like, oh. Yeah. Whereas <laughs> if, it's, if it's true... It's like it's so binary. It's like mathematics. <laughs> More or less. There's an <laughs> iron law to it. You're right. It's just like bang, it's funny. Oh, uh, it's not. You've Pretty pushed much. the line. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there's a few things I want to unpack from what you said before. And you spoke about comedians in general. Who do you respect today? Or who have you respected over the years? Like if you were to build a Franken comedian, who would you pair together? Mine would be uh, yeah, it would definitely be Arj Barker, George Carlin, Bill Burr, oh, yeah. Dave Chappelle. M- m- mine, mine are really safe, safe choices, I think, because it's just basically I like comedians that are undeniable. There's in like 90% of the people are just going to be like, yeah, obviously they're a good comedian, but who do you not like? But I'm not going to say Kevin Hart's a good comedian. <laughs> <laughs> He's shithouse. But in terms of Australians, who do I think is a good comedian? I think, you know, the adopted Australian, Arj Barker. Ooh, that's a good one to start with, isn't it? Uh, yeah, so we've definitely got, yeah, I mean, obviously, Hamish Blake, undeniable. Chris Lilly, undeniable. Yeah. Um, uh, Tom Gleeson, very good. Not undeniable, but very good. And Dave Hughes. <laughs> He still packs it out. Oh, man. I was actually lo- watching um, Elliot Loney do an impersonation of him the other day. It's very good. Fuck me. It's, he does it well. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's his top two, isn't it? <laughs> uh, He's done, he, yeah, something about his impersonation that made me realize that's that's the way you do it, I guess, is he kind of sucks his cheeks in a lot when he does it. Yeah. And that makes it sound 30% better instantly. But also what a ridiculous person Dave Hughes is. Exactly. <laughs> it's really weird. He's kind of this weird blend of half gay man, half junkie. That's his accent, isn't it? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I don't know. Obviously, he's riding off the coattails of his voice, but having said that... So does Dave Chappelle, and he's always given 
unfounded uh, accolade as you know the greatest comedian, but really, I think his strength is just stage presence, and he's a little more dramatically trained than most, which is also the same as Arj Barker. And I think that that actually does really differentiate the boys from the men when it comes to comedy. I think is real <laughs> if they've got some foundation in theatre, they're better. Yeah, definitely. And also, like, the comedians that can sort of traverse many different uh, mediums. Mm. And that's another thing I want to get into next is, like, um, you know, like, Bill Burr, man, he's such a great example. He's got a podcast. Yep. He's got – I mean, but this is the business now, isn't it? You've got to do stand-up. You've got to do podcasts. You've yep. got to do a special. You've got to do – I mean, in some instances, my favorite cartoons in the last year have been comedians doing fucking cartoons. F is for Family is probably one of the funniest fucking things because I grew up in it's a house – one of the top three since The Simpsons. Yeah. I grew up in a family that was exactly like that. Not as extreme, yeah, but, but near that. <laughs> it's one of the only ones that addresses it. The, the struggle of lower middle class. That's really it. Like, it's, it's them and The Simpsons. What are we going to do about this? I'll just keep it. You can probably hear that, surely. Nah. Pull it down. <laughs> <laughs> Pull it down and then uh, push the... Here we go. If you push, it needs to be like in a little bit of an angle. So, like, if you were to pull it out a little bit, yeah, like that. Okay. Is that going to sit? Yes. All right. Perfect. <laughs> I'm just, because I've got the, the mic and you hear this, like, boing. Yeah, boing. I, I hate that sound, yeah. It's, um, I don't know what, it, this only, like, started with the recent, the last two interviews. It's weird. Like, before that, they were really stiff. And they're bloody expensive, these these microphones they, are. No, they really are, aren't they? Yeah. Like, and the, this is the problem as well. You've got to go for, like, the most expensive thing if you really want it to be completely 100%, no mm. faults, no mm. issues. Mm. It's like with this. You Technology's know, you, like that, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. You could have gotten, I could have gotten, uh, like, a $200 recorder, but I just know that I would have had fucking too many problems with it. But no, I, you're right, yeah. You live and you learn. <laughs> <laughs> Time yeah, for no, Zoom's, Zoom's definitely worth the investment, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. they're brilliant. So going back to comedians and mediums, how would you define your style and then what mediums do you think you're best suited to? Mm, I think actually other people actually have described my style better than I would actually. They say that it's a reverent comedy mixed with absurdism. <laughs> I'd say I'd really like radio to be the medium that I'm best at. I love the theatre of mind that radio is able to accumulate. I don't know if I am though. I think the best the best medium I'm good at is live performance and followed by that it would yeah it would probably be film it would probably be uh film and yeah. radio would probably be the lowest but you know but you want what you can't have <laughs> well you've just you you're now doing is it breakfast or drive radio drive drive so who knows maybe who knows and it might be a thing of just accumulating skill and don't get me wrong, I don't think I'm bad at it. I think there's people that are much worse on radio. Like, Jesus, like if Sam Frost can do breakfast radio, anyone can. <laughs> what that? What is with that? Like, why do – I find that really odd. Like, you know, 
X, you, you got like one half is a real radio person, like a character who can really drive the show, and then the other is just like a celebrity. It's really gross. They, they, they're constantly – first of all, I think Kyle Sanderlands was actually talking about it and he was just like, they don't understand the industry. They're just a bunch of suits that get paid $800,000 a year to go, oh, oh, Kyle and Jackie only have a 10-year lifespan. Based off what? Because Wendy Harmer went for 10 years? You don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> he's, he's absolutely right. I think it's just that. There's just a bunch of suits that are basically bean counters that have no idea – what people actually like to listen to that sit there and go, well, she's she's popular. She's got she, Everyone knows who she is, so therefore she must be fine at it, right? <laughs> no. What you want to do is build up people that are actually competent at their skill because, dude, you listen to Sam Frost for 10 seconds and she's like, I got a massage today, and that's her, that's her <laughs> break. Who gives a shit that you got a massage, Sam? Of course you're going to change over to somebody who's sitting there just being like, uh, all right, this this girl gets $10,000 for this surgery she needs if no one rings up within the next 60 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> How much more listenable is that? It's, it, it's, uh, it's a skill. It's a craft. It's like anything else. It's like being a plumber or something. Obviously, you have to put in the hard yards. Yeah. Well, are you then finding yourself respecting – like the although it's generally populated with more conservative voices, but the old dogs of AM radio. Of course, yeah. I, we, in fact, that is one of the biggest parts of our new radio show, is making fun of Ray Hadley, but not in a not in a mean spirited way. Just as in that guy's hilarious, and no one seems to know it. Yeah, that's great to me that there's this old man that seems to be kind of in a room by himself. I mean, a lot of AM talkback radio hosts, obviously, they've got big egos and they're good at what they do. And I've got nothing against people having a big ego if they're good at what they do. But Ray Hadley doesn't seem to have a big ego. He just seems to be a curmudgeon of a man that's sitting there just reading the papers being like, what, what, what do you mean this murderer only got three three years in jail? He should have got 30 years. He's outrageous. Everybody ring up. What do you reckon, 30 years? Yeah, yeah, he should have got 30, Ray, for sure. Or 40. Yeah, yeah, actually 40 years. <laughs> three hours a day. It's so weird that that's like a medium that millions of people listen to. So we're, we're constantly using him to prank call other people. And, yeah, basically, yeah, it, I do have massive respect for AM talk ho- show hosts. I think they're extremely entertaining. I think they're extremely persuasive. Very yeah, persuasive. And, you know, if you've been on air for 30 years, you're going to be very good. Yeah, I feel like um, someone like an Alan Jones is a master of it. Um, he, Absolutely. Man, he has people that are just, they will fucking eat up what he says and oh, just sure. spit, it, spit it out as gospel. I mean, you listen to him for his little minute and a half editorial and it makes total sense. Yeah. I'm convinced of what he says and I study politics <laughs> and I sit there and every time I'm always like, he's got a point, Alan, you know. <laughs> it's very well worded. It's, uh, he's, he's got such and, – and the other thing that he's great at is just having such moral outrage in his voice. <laughs> Yeah, the sense of like, oh, the world, like what have we come to type thing. <laughs> Which is what AM thrives off. That's the that's the massive difference between ABC and AM, and no wonder it makes it it it's so much. It's got such a higher audience than the ABC does. Yeah, because there's just this gross, uh, like self righteous doesn't not really deserving to be self righteous smug attitude that all ABC hosts. It can be pretty much summed up with this sound. I think of like. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Mm. <laughs> but then when you listen to the AM radio... Oh, God. 
It's just a bunch of old guys just going like disgraceful, outrageous, disgusting, and that's that's what old people think, you know, because they've been around for a hundred years and they've seen society decline. <laughs> basically, is that, is that thing gonna stay? If it doesn't stay, we can switch uh, the mic. For everyone listening at home, uh, one of our mic stands keeps fucking up. We we might switch it. It's just too problematic. We can pause anyway. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. If you want, we'll be back. Okay, we're back. Now, where were we? We're talking about Ray Hadley. I feel. Yeah. (laughs) Radio hosts. (laughs) Yeah. Now, do you think that with all this that you'll pursue? Like, would you prefer to be known as a podcaster or doing radio? I'd much prefer to be known as doing radio. Yeah. I've just got maybe it's just because I've got fond memories of it, but I also like the time restriction of coming up with something in three minutes. Uh, and I really think that to this day, it has this it has this quality of it that can't really be replicated in podcasts, which is it's it's just so much more professional. Mm. I think that's pretty much it. I mean, that, that, I mean that, that's what I would like, but if it never happens, it's fine. I'm very happy doing what I am at the moment. Yeah. Well, this goes to the question of, um, I guess, what's happening in the media business, right? Mm. Like, I mean, I feel like you're really well – you would understand this pretty well. I know that Neil did as well. Um, do you think that what has happened to radio is sort of emblematic of what's happened with – new media over the last five to, I don't know, seven years, I guess. What do you mean emblematic? Like, you know, that most of – it's mainly in the US right now. Yeah. Right? You know, like most of the people are moving towards podcasts and mm. other digital mediums. Mm. Like where do you see the media going, I guess is my question. Well, it's already happened. Um, and in Australia, obviously, because it's always five years behind, but really – which is a great thing. I think that that's fantastic that the mainstream media is no... It's just a dinosaur at this point. It is no longer relevant. Yeah. And it's already happened and people in the media do feel it. And I remember when Laurie Oakes just retired, he was basically lamenting about... It was was, was a swan song about the media. He was saying that we're no longer relevant or at least we're much less relevant than what we used to be and politicians don't have to go through us to get their message out, which means that they don't have to go jump through all the hoops of editorials and have their words mixed around by people that are basically just trying to get a sensationalist story out of it. Yeah. Now they can just go straight to the people and I think that that's a really good thing. And so I I think that it's just going to go more and more that way. There's always going to be a place for television and radio purely because they've got budgets that you will never be able to replicate online, I don't think, um, because they just know how to attract advertisers en masse and they already have the infrastructure to do it. So there's the, the, the product, the potential product from these traditional media platforms is always going to be more professional. Yeah. Well, I guess the the thing is, right, is that, and this is what's being discussed with because uh, I was reading about the Facebook ad, um, the ad issue with the the Russian ads being run, mm. and they were just talking about the fundamentals of the ad, these self service ad platforms. They don't suit large advertisers, mm. like particularly YouTube and mm. Facebook, mm. because 
they need to shell out millions of dollars in ad spend mm. because that's what they need. They just need eyeballs. Mm. And going and doing a self-serve type ad on Facebook is just too complicated for them. Whereas they can go mm. to a media buying agency and just do it that way. Like, yeah. here's a budget, go for it. Yeah. Yeah. No, you definitely see that happen. And on top of that, much safer as well mm. because you can say whatever you want on the net, which is obviously never going to be as <laughs> profitable, is it? Yeah. As being able to you know, just saying within the parameters, if I was an advertiser, I wouldn't touch Facebook. Yeah. It makes perfect sense to me. Unless it was something really straightforward like, did they do makeup? I mean, that's <laughs> not going to offend anyone, is it? <laughs> but there will, be, there, there will be changes to that, even media buying, I think, in the next five years that we'll see. Oh, of course, yeah. It's yeah. it's going to have prof- it, it's yeah. It's a it's a fundamental shift that is not going back. Obviously, yeah. but the thing is, obviously, it's going to survive and and re uh, reformat itself just like radio has. Yeah. And radio's kind of just found its position, and it's not the this what what you see from the statistics on what's happening to radio. I've got no idea about television, but I assume that that's really in the toilet. Yeah. You can just see it in the the crap that they produce now, but uh, radio's kind of just found its niche. Yeah, and it found it a long time ago because it's been having to deal with you know the the talkies and then TV, <laughs> all these other things. So it's it's just it's just another one of those to them. Well, it feels like radio had to deal with podcasting on all those other sorts of um, avenues like um, satellite radio mm. before. We really had the internet, like the the media internet, because there was the internet of like ninety seven, et cetera, which was just like yeah, you go and browse and it's like web one but the real two which has hit in the last five to seven years, is a different story. Yeah, um, yeah. How do you how do you view then a new media organization? Because I know that you've done some work. Uh, you did like a, a voting campaign, mm. um, like a voting ad campaign, mm. and. Um, I'm just fascinated because, like, in that it showed that you were able to have, like, massive results and that that's sort of emblematic of where new media is now. The results are far greater because the audiences are more specific. Mm. What do you – like, if you were to create – and I've always wondered this, like, why don't you and Neil create, like, a, a news company as an example? Well, Neil and I don't see eye to eye politically at all. <laughs> I mean – I agree with like I agree with Neil a lot on life, but not on politics. So that'd be the first hurdle. But the second one on top of that is, I neither of us I don't think have the inc- we we don't have the drive in our in our heads at least. I'd say that money isn't our big motivator in life, and we're not we're not business minded people. Uh, yeah, we're performers. And so it's it's again that thing of just accepting what you're good at, right? And not being able to, and just putting away anything else. So it, it pretty much the, the way that Friendly Geordies came about was purely out of necessity to perform, and it still drives that through the day. There is no business model, there's no plan. <laughs> it just happened because of pure passion. Yeah. And I can guarantee that if I did a media company, I I, I reckon it would tank. Really. If someone else was doing it, that'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> no, just because I've always, you know, we're, we're fascinated, fascinated by media and what's happened here in Australia. Like, I can't think of a, 
a decent new media company, particularly doing news. Like it's literally just News Corp, Fairfax, and a few other independents that are still using the older model. I just, yeah, uh, it's curious to me, you know. I just wonder if someone would ever do it when it comes to news or general general politics. No, that's definitely true. There, there, there probably would be. I mean, I suppose pedestrian and junkie are, are doing that now. And God, yeah, p- please bring back Fairfax. So <laughs> much better than that. That's what I, that's what I mean. <laughs> I mean, I just didn't think it could get worse. Yeah, but it did. Uh, so yeah, I, I mean, yeah, there's there's a few there's a few examples of people, I guess, touching their foot in it. But you're right. The, the net has made everything easier. Mm. You could do it. Yeah, because the thing is, like, yes, there are news organizations that do that sort of stuff in the US, like Vice and Vox and all that sort of stuff, and they may have their biases, but still they're part of the new media. But there's no one really doing anything local, at least Australia and Asia. That's true. So, yeah, it's always made me curious, like, what could be done? The other thing is, as well, is Vox and Vice have huge amounts of capital. Yeah, because they mainly raised... Capital from VC financing. I didn't know that. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. I suppose, yeah, it, it, you could do it here. You, you absolutely could do it here, could you? You wouldn't even need to make it on the same scale because it's not the same size market. No. Yeah, and the thing is, you if you had a proof of concept with, um, I don't know, like a, a daily show, let's say, that was just streamed live on each different platform mm. or it was – uh, a daily video that was news related, you know, like a ten to fifteen minute thing. Um, I don't know. I just feel like there's an opportunity there. No, I reckon you're absolutely right. Mm. There certainly is. I mean, well, we're rich enough to. It's not. Yeah. <laughs> if if there's money around, like people just shell it out, won't they? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Um, you were speaking before about Friendly Geordies primarily being a creative outlet. How the hell do you come up with videos like America First, Australia Second? You know, like what is the creative process behind all this? First of all, uh, the, the first one is I, I think basically at the at the very inception of it, well, actually, even before that, obviously you've got to do prep because all of my stuff is it's it's researched. So obviously you've got to do that, but. Taking aside that, when I suppose it starts getting down to the creative process of it, I think that the best jokes are constructed when you start with what you think about the subject and you don't try and make it funny. And you just try and get down your opinion and why your opinion is better and, I guess, uh, more poignant than most people who have thought about it. You just think about it more than most people do. And there's, again, what we were talking about before with perception shift. That's a huge part of comedy. And I think that that's, that's what you want to get across first. Then you dress it up with the jokes afterwards. So, I don't know. Yeah, with Australia first, America second. I mean, America first, Australia second. I mean, that that was just a thing that was going around the net and then yeah. some booze company was going, hey, do you want to do it? And I said, yes, but I don't want your name on it. So, thanks very much for the idea. And I just stole it. And so, basically, uh, you know, obviously I just did that one for the views. But, you, you know, there was still 
I, I looked at what all the other countries were doing. First of all, it was shit because, like, English is not their first language. So, <laughs> dude, how bad was that? Just being like, my name is Donald Trump. <laughs> That's the best France can do of Trump's accent. But, uh, yeah, they, but they all followed the same thing, which was basically, in France, we have Arc de Triomphe. It's almost as big as your hair. Really fucking obvious jokes and no real barb or commentary or insight into their country. It was really superficial stuff. And obviously, you know, because they just wanted to chuck it out and get as many views as possible like I did as well. But I think that that extra step will differentiate you and give you a a audience that is willing to pay and see you if you're able to articulate what they think that, that's 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 the comedy that I really like, and I guess you're hinting at it as well of just uh, that's exactly what I think, but I was never able to put it in thought as well because you know that's the service that you're paying for. And I think that that's another thing that most comedians and most artists in general always forget because they're extremely self-absorbed people. <laughs> Performers are I've, – I've met – Five that I like. Neil is one of them. There's very few performers that I can tolerate being around for a long period of time. And I think it's because they, they're they so self-absorbed and you can just hear it in their language. It's kind of like when you talk to an insane person, they say the word I 10 times more than the average population does. <laughs> and they're, they're pretty much there. But they, they forget that art is still a service. And if you're not providing a service, why the fuck would anyone pay for you? Mm. That's that's the key thing that I think everybody needs to get into their head. So not only is it better when you have a point, it's also necessary. Yeah. So that's the end of it. Basically, you're writing out or fleshing out your idea of this topic and why this is unique and then trying to put your spin on it that, that makes it that slight bit funny, you know, to, to a, your audience. Yeah. So then the last part, yeah, obviously is to then dress it up with the jokes. Yeah. Sprinkle, just a little, <laughs> a little bit of that comedy bay, you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I loved watching that. <laughs> oh, shit. Watch that. Yeah. God, thank you for reminding me about that. <laughs> I've, got, I've got that guy on uh, Instagram. He's he is, is he huge. Ah, oh, yeah. I, I I feel like um, he must have like a couple of million followers. Mm. But what's so funny is that guy is fully aware as to what is going on. Like he knows people are taking the piss, and he uses that to his advantage. That's exactly what he should be doing. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty sad after a while when yeah. a, a walking meme doesn't get it. <laughs> look at look at this guy. Nusa Et, Nusa Et is his name, N- nearly 10 million followers on Instagram. Yeah, he knows. You can tell within looking at three pictures, this yeah. guy knows exactly what he's doing. He's f- <laughs> <laughs> he is fully aware as to what's going on. And the thing is, what's so brilliant is like you watch his videos and he's like carving up meat and doing these ridiculous tricks and all this other stuff. And <laughs> people just fucking love it. And now he, he really is like, you know, it's like Salt Bay lifestyle. You know, like he's got like all the things that he like regularly does. Like he puts in like his workouts and all this other shit. <laughs> uh, I, I, I respect people like flavor, that. <laughs> like he does his meat. Oh man, it's so good. Um, <laughs> that is, yeah. 
Now, I was going to ask, is there something that, fr- like, because you, in that video, America First, Australia Second, and this is probably getting into politics, it, it must frustrate you, our sort of derivative nature that we have in this country. Not just with, like, the fact that we've got the ANZUS, but also that we can't have our own Australian head of government. No, those things don't actually annoy me that much. I've, I've really, the, the more I go into politics, the more I, I hate symbolism mm-hmm. uh i i've come basically to the conclusion that i don't care who the head of state is okay. <laughs> <laughs> that is basically it it used to frustrate me but then you just realize that a lot of this is used deliberately as a mechanism to distract the public from things that are affecting their life yeah and make it seem like there's a debate and a discourse and they're involved in democracy when really they have very little say on most policy. In fact, they don't even know what most of the policy is, which is startling in itself, but also very understandable because it's very nuts and bolts. But it could be very easily presented and given as much coverage as things like, you know, a plebiscite or saying sorry or a republic, but they're not. And these are things that really affect huge swaths of the population so much more than if we've got a queen or some basically just a governor general who's called the president. Mm. Uh, a really good example, I guess, is like with, with the plebiscite recently, uh, Gonski 2.0, which is a complete marketing sham. It is nothing to do with Gonski. They've just, because it's such got such positive association to it, they put a 2.0 at the end. So people go, it must be better, new and improved. <laughs> and they don't look into it. And the media doesn't look into it because they don't want them looking into it because really Malcolm Turnbull's just a human embodiment of what the media's coverage is, which is basically, you know, like, I don't care about poor people, not really that interested in the environment, just, you know, I just... It's, it's just, I can't believe that gays aren't allowed to get married in 2017. Like, yeah, I guess that's a problem. But, like, the fact that you guys just cut penalty rates by 50%, I think, on a Sunday, which is money that the bottom million people need to pay for their rent. I think out of those million people, 500,000 people are using that to put shelter over their heads. That's, that's what that money goes to. And then they just went, yeah, well, you don't go to church anymore, so it's the same as Saturday, right? No. <laughs> that is the most superficial argument ever. And then you see the coverage of the media, and then they just go like, yeah, well, he's got a point. You know, like, uh, you know, they both got good arguments. One of them is saying that these people can't afford rent anymore. This one's saying that you don't go to church. Anyway, next, next issue, plebiscite. And they don't cover it. It got one-fifteenth the coverage when they cut penalty rates, as a survey. And then on top of that, before the election, when we could actually do something about it, uh, when Labor was saying they're trying to pass this through, that they're going to cut your penalty rates, it was dismissed as a scare campaign. I was dismissed as a conspiracy theorist for even bringing it up. And, And this is a deliberate strategy that is well documented in academia throughout the world. This is how the media operates. So you're saying it's... Uh, symbols are for the symbol-minded, I guess. That's that. it. That's pretty much it. <laughs> and You've the, summed it up well. But I, I think, yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying, but I wonder, I, I, I look at sort of the policy underneath it. Look, my view is, um, like with the whole America thing, is, I don't know, I just feel like we're so derivative and those sort of things get front and page of what is covered and then it just doesn't allow us to focus on 
things that matter. Like mm. I was saying here with Tom, like like it is it is absolutely ridiculous that we're even having this survey. Like 130 million bucks and it's five million mil a year in interest. Mm. I mean, as a someone who comes from a center party that a center center political leaning family that believes in being I guess good with your money. Mm. Like, what the fuck? Like, yeah. what, what is this shit? Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And we've got some, like, issues that are much greater, like we were saying before this, like with the energy policy, that we need to have a better energy policy because right now it's pretty much us just exporting out all the shit that we've got here right. to other people. And we, I've had clients, I've had companies that I know that had billions and billions of dollars ready to invest. And they just decided not to do it because there's no policy. There's no clear direction. Yeah. That that frustrates me and I, that, that's what I was intrigued to hear your thoughts on, but I guess. <laughs> yeah, that, well, those are my thoughts <laughs> yeah. on that issue is basically that. Yeah. And, yeah, it, it's, it's uh, yeah, on, on the political side of it, it really, really benefits a, a, a government that is not working in the people's best interest to have a media that is that complacent. It is, it, and honestly, when you when you first start looking into it, you think this is a conspiracy, but it is not a conspiracy because this is just documents. This is, as, as, as you're saying, right, this is, you saying that is a fact. It's not the same thing as, well, well why, why did they collapse so quickly in 10 seconds? Why, 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 why did Tower 7 collapse? Did, didn't even get hit by a plane. It's, those are just questions that you're like, oh, yeah, I guess, but this is just, this is what happened. This yeah. is the facts. <laughs> Tell me. That's what happened. What, do you, what are your feelings on, like, I feel like the past seven years politically has been a bit of a stalemate, no matter what mm. government would have. And I say that comparing it to the era of, say, Hawke Keating and, um, uh, who was it after that? Howard and fucking what's that old fart's name? Um, who is the treasurer? Costello. Costello, yeah. So you've got basically a Labor government that set up reform, which basically opened up the economy to mm. the biggest boom we've ever had. Mm. And then you had a more conservative government focus on fiscal policy, which, you know, you could argue some of their decisions weren't the best, but um, that to me was like a great era for decision-making, mm. at least. No matter what your political leading, shit got done, right? Mm. But now for the last, I don't know, seven to ten years, it's I don't know, it just feels like a bit of a charade and I'm interested to hear why you think we've been in this sort of period of, of nothing really getting done. Well, the main thing is really it all just comes down to one man, which is Paul Keating. We just don't have a Paul Keating. Mm. And it's because... That guy is not on every bus. He was a genius. He's one of those life once in a lifetime people, and we were just lucky that he was in power for a while, at least. Anyway, um, you know, there's a lot of talented people, but that guy was—he was beyond world class. Really quick stats: getting close to thirty years of continual economic growth, extremely low inflation that entire time. Uh, actually saw that the wealth got spread around, unlike in the US and the UK when they opened up their economies, which was clearly just a neoliberal ruse to just make companies as profitable as possible. We saw a 42% wage increase. America saw a 1% wage increase. Mm. He, he tripled our capacity for economic growth. Uh, 
as he always says, I guess, it's it's very easy to make the top 1% much richer. Any Any guy on the bus can do that. But somebody who's able to stay in power, keep those guys happy and bring up the rest of the nation, that's that's the mark of a genius. Right. And I think that that's pretty much it, is that he did all of the heavy lifting in his tenureship of 10, 11 years or whatever it was. Um, Howard was really living, riding off the coattails of that. The, the economy was just going into structural surplus anyway. So it's – and you can see it because he did nothing to change the economy in that entire time. Mm. Uh, then we had the mining boom. And so as a result of that now, I mean, you know, like I agree with Kevin Rudd on issues – and I agree with Julia Gillard on on most of on, on most of their vision and issues, but really, basically, all they've been doing is just you know, maybe just a, a, a program, better better education system, and things. And yeah, that, those are good things, and they have a long term effect and things. But there's no true vision there. Yeah, nothing, which is what Keating had. Nothing to dramatically change what mm. what is now, you know, and a better system exactly. to suit the world now. Yeah, and yeah. that's and. Keating was even talking about it, and I don't know why the Labor Party doesn't listen to him. I suppose it's because he was kicked out and the public hated him. Now, but on this for a second, Paul Keating, was, wasn't he blocked on Twitter recently? Is that right? No idea. Fuck, uh, that's just, uh, that popped in my head. I was like very surprised by that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that. That would surprise me a lot as well. Um I couldn't imagine him being extremely offensive. I could imagine him being savage, but not offensive. He's savage. Oh, my God, the quips that man had. Yes. But, it, yeah, it was like, you know, going back to my own political innings, it was tough for me because I grew up in a centre liberal family. I remember my grandfather, bless his soul, before um, he passed, used to say things like, uh, I don't want anyone in this house who supports Labour. And just shit like that. <laughs> just lay yeah, it. It's a classic. Uh, the same thing with Biden as well. It's just wog families. Yeah. They, they naturally lean towards a liberal government. But again, it is a marketing ploy. Yeah. It is something that they advertise themselves as, that we're strong with the economy, we're strong with the defence. But if you look into the stats and the figures, it's simply not true. Well, I think, though, it it depends. Like, like you said, Paul Keating, right? Mm. He was a guy who knew what was going on. But, you know... I would have said 10 years ago, my dad fucking hated Paul Keating. I mean, his business basically went broke and he went through some pretty hard times during the 90s. Um, but I feel like me and my brother, like my brother's doing his um, his master's in maths at the moment and uh, I think we've sort of convinced him that, n- no, he wasn't that bad. He set up the country for some pretty good things. Mm. Um, but, yeah, it's 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 quite fascinating how that that dogma will hit you and then your your world is sort of opened up a bit as you you meet new people. Yeah, um, I'm intrigued. What? How did you form your own political biases? Uh, how would it have started? You know what? Actually, I think it was. I mean, I came from a household that they were probably, I guess, green supporters, which is and and that's why I think it's such a a pet peeve of mine. And I, I cover it way too much, and my entire audience is going, yes, we get it, but the vast majority of the population doesn't get this. That that line of argument that they're both fucked or like, you know, Labour and Liberal are exactly the same, doesn't matter which one's in, which is a huge population that, that thinks that. It's just simply not true. And so that's that's like a huge drive of mine, I'm constantly trying to put that message through because I'm trying to convince as many people as possible to just get away from that paradigm. But I think 
what happened with me was I did a degree in politics because I'm a dumb idiot at 18 because they just said, you get to go overseas for a year. And that's why. (laughs) It was so stupid. But it turned out to be great because while I was studying in Korea, there was this professor there and he went to Korea because much like in Canada and Australia and the US, you don't learn anything in politics on purpose because they're trying to get you a job in the civil service and they're trying to make you obedient and just understand the system so that you can work in that system but not really understand what that system is. Right. And so many degrees are are guilty of this. As in, for instance, that that a big part of studying politics is they put you in economics and they just go, you know, just go in there just to see how fucking scary it is what they learn. And the thing is, yeah, obviously there's a lot of merit to economics and stuff like that, but it just does not factor in the environment or like diminishing resources. It's getting better now. But I, I distinctly remember sitting in, in lectures where they're just going, you know, like, well, just, you know, just assume that you're just cutting down a bunch of trees and you just keep going on forever. That, that was basically the gist of it, right? <laughs> and so they, so everyone just becomes, I don't know, I, I think that's another reason why Paul Keating was really good as a leader as well is because he didn't go to university. And I think university just trains you to get a job. It doesn't train you to have a vision or think bigger. Uh, that's something that you have to do on yourself, I guess. But, uh, yeah, so I guess what happened is that guy basically made me sit through a bunch of Chomsky documentaries because he went to Korea because they, he, you know, he was speaking English and they had no idea what he was saying. So he basically just sat there and made us watch a bunch of Chomsky films and read a bunch of Chomsky books. And it was that same thing that we were talking about with comedians, except for in academia, who just like, he is undeniably right. This is the smartest academic in the world. I've still come across no one that is remotely as impressive as Noam Chomsky. And he's, he's 100% right. All of his criticisms are apt. Um, but then I came back and I, I was just being, you know, just got more into that thought of just going, yeah, they're all fucked and, you know, at least the Greens are honest and stuff. And then... You just start realizing, yeah, but they're not in power and they're not going to be in power. And then there's all these people going, yeah, but they could form minority government. It's just like one of these fucking here's how Bernie could win shit. And it's, dude, go for results. That's what I started realizing. And I think that was a massive thing of going into self-help is just when you, uh, when you uh, start, start getting into self-help, you just realize that, like, the ideal is nowhere near as good as what you, what is achievable. Yeah. Because it's a real tangible result. Yeah. And so, as a result, that's that's why I just fell into the labor camp, I reckon, is because, you know, obviously they have to make compromises. Sorry, they're a major party and they have to make a f- giant consensus with a bunch of different interest groups and things. Oh, <laughs> poor you that they don't agree exactly on everything you do. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Yeah, I, I think that's it. That's 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 my journey, I guess. How did um <laughs> with with the life advice stuff? How did the, why did you start doing this? Because two things, it, I don't think that I'd be in the position that I am in today in that I feel like I have a much more disproportionately powerful voice than what I should have for somebody my age. I feel like I'm making more money than most people who are in the media. I can say what I want. I just there's 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 a lot of things that I was 
that I've pioneered, and it's purely because of the strength of psychology that I received from reading self-help books, which is just like how the last five years, my entire crusade was just saying, stop saying Labor and Liberal are the same. The Liberals are much worse than what you think they are. The Labor Party is much better than what you think they are. I think the next five years is just going to be like, self-help's awesome. Because <laughs> I'm tired of that myth that it's just a bunch of snake oil salesmen. I'm not denying that there is some there. But, you know, I've read 300 books in the field. A lot of it was shit. But there was some life-changing information in that. And basically, it's just training you to have the same psychology as people that changed the world or have become multi-billionaires from nothing there's some common traits that they all have yeah. and they need to be ingrained into your head. What What have you read in particular that sort of really changed your perspective? There's two things that I highly recommend. Uh, the first one is Maximum Achievement by Brian Tracy. Okay. But the second one that is absolutely life-changing and everybody that always says to me, I don't know what to be doing in my life, where do I start? Even if you just did that audio program, it would be you would be miles above the vast majority of your competition, miles above them, and that is Tony Robbins' personal power too. Yeah. And it's 30 days. You know about it? Yeah, I know Tony Robbins, yeah. I've read okay. I've read a few of his books as well. Right, yeah. right. And his books are fan- they're phenomenal. I mean, I've never – I don't know anything about finance. He was able to keep my attention as in page-turning, like it's a Harry Potter book or something, <laughs> but it's about, you know – like literally, it was actually was like it the, the Simpsons. Book? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know yeah. the Simpsons where he's just sitting there at a bank loan place and he's going, "I think that you'll find filling in these forms are as exciting as a weekend with Batman." And Bart's <laughs> going, "Like really? That's how <laughs> Tony Robbins actually makes you feel about it. He's got a gift." Um, but Personal Power Two is a thirty-day program, thirty minutes a day. He focuses on one different lesson, I guess, each day of things that just give you a much more effective psychology of navigating yourself through the world, regardless of whatever you're choosing to endeavor upon in life. And the thing is, that's what's really, really good about it is the fact that it does go for 30 days. And so those habits start to form because it's the month process, which is how long it takes to form. There's a lot of disputation as to how long it takes to form habits. Let's just say it's 30 days. Um, and on top of that, he's forcing you to do homework every day. And he's and he, he's very good at guilting you into doing it in from the next tape from before. That changed my life. How And how old were you when you did this? How, how long ago did you do this? I think I was 19, maybe 20, maybe the cusp of those years. Yeah. See, for me, it was um, Tim Ferriss. Completely, he's a very good man. Yeah, he's a very good man. Completely flipped my mentality, and it was mm. Um, mm. that was at the same time I ha- I had like this uh, chronic health issue, which is related to like food intolerances, and it really, you know, like it just which is your mentality, you know, mm. and that the whole eighty twenty thing was that blew my mind away. Exactly, and uh, it's such a simple tool, isn't it? And little little tools, like I think if. And it's so amazing because you go, fuck, I can't wait to, like, be able to have a child and just, like, teach them this this thing, you know? Yes, yes. Set this human yes. up so well because, like, I, I agree. If you are making habits, I think that's crucial. If you Absolutely. focus on a few things, that's yeah. crucial. Yeah. If you're prudent, if you're, like, with, with money and whatnot, yeah. if you're willing to be constantly learning and, like, 
this can be done in many ways, but I read like an hour a day mm. just before bed. Mm. And I think measuring or, I don't know, some sort of creative element to go through your thoughts and that might be just journaling. So I'll do that once a week. And these little things, like you structure them in your weekly life. There's other little things like, you know, getting up at the same time or making your bed in the morning or some mm. little shit like that. But that has a massive impact on your psychology and all of a sudden, like you're doing shit, like writing yes. your tasks yes. for the next day. That's yeah. the most amazing thing about it is that it just starts spiraling and the, the results start accumulating and you keep getting more and more effective. And the best thing is you always hear this, I reckon, a lot of people that are always going, oh, I'm just so busy at the moment, that that thing, <laughs> they're, always, they're always the shittest at getting results. It's people that are busy that always go, yeah, no, okay, I can do that. And it's because it's it's basically because their psychology has been trained into properly managing their time, setting priorities right, things that just make you I don't know, like I was I was I was reading the other day that if you plan your day within an hour of each session, so you just plan it at the beginning of the day or the day before for five minutes or whatever it takes you're going to be 400% more effective in that day. And if you plan it to the minute, and I'm not important enough to do that, but there's, you know, like there's a lot of CEOs and stuff that do that. They're a thousand times more effective than someone. So they're basically doing the work of 10 people by themselves or you're doing the work of four people by yourself. Obviously, you're going to get ahead in life. (laughs) I know. You're, you're You're a quintiplet Siamese quintuplet <laughs> that's what you are at that point what um what has been your most favorite thing to give life advice on that's it it's just the it's the fundamental thing again i think it's a thing of maybe there's just some people that are just more idealistic i mean i think that i like toying with ideas in my mind a lot but i also feel like i've always had a streak of utilitarianism as in just what what gets results and i think that's why it's just that's it's just me honing that same message over and over again you want a labor government in power because yeah they're not perfect but they get results and and it's the same thing as with this just getting it back to the absolute main point which is just read self-help Make sure that it's one of your top five influences in life, that it's actually influencing your life. Because it's just like having the most effective human beings on the planet, the greatest human beings in the world, writing how they became great. And they just, if you make them one of your friends, that's a good friend to have, basically. (laughs) I really think that. Tony Robbins has helped me out so much more than like another friend that I could ring up and go, can you change my tire? (laughs) I agree. I think um, one of the greatest things (laughs) is learning that you can have mentors that don't necessarily need to be there all the time. Exactly. And they can also be dead, you know? Like you can be reading their shit and and learning so much from it. I want to jump back to comedy craft. What is it that you want to achieve from your comedy? Me, at this point, I want to use it to deliver messages that I think need to be delivered. That's that's the goal for me. Uh, it used to just be, I guess, it was just such a wanky goal now that I think about it, of just going, you know, I just, I just want to make the best comedy possible. And after a while, you realize that it's too subjective to say who's the best at it. 
you just have to be in that group of elites, I guess. And then after that, it's just people make up their own mind for it. But I think that if you are able to use comedy to educate people, that's the noblest thing you can do with your art. What does the future look like then? It's just getting to the point where I've got just that, just just more and more subscribers. That's pretty much it. It's it's basically this until I'm dead. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, we we're talking about radio before. Do you, is it that you feel that those older mediums are better for reaching a wider audience, and that's why you want to do that? You can do it on a daily basis. It's got the theatre of the mind, so it's more captivating. Uh, I've I've never found a more intimate medium. You really feel like you're the friend of somebody who you listen to for some reason as opposed to watch. I think it's because it activates your imagination more and you go, yeah, yeah I know that person. <laughs> I don't know why. I definitely think that there's, there's a reason why AM Talkback Radio is worldwide the most effective at shaping opinion, and I'd wager that it has something to do with that. We, starting with, I guess, what you know now, let's go back, I don't know, five, six years. What would you have changed, what you did? I would have started much quicker. I wouldn't have uh, – I, I, I wouldn't have gotten there's, – there's too many things, I guess, where – there's too many moments where you keep changing in and out of – what your message is, I guess. So I would have been much more crystal clear from the start of what I wanted to achieve out of it. And I would have applied the rule that I think George Clooney came up with, which is one for you, one for me, which I've only actually started doing properly this year. It took me a long time to discipline myself to do it. But what is that rule? Which is he makes a movie that he knows will do well in terms of uh, ticket sales. And then he does a movie that he thinks is important to make and he does that on rotation. And so basically I do the same thing now. I do one clickbait video, one video on something that I think is important for people to know and I don't get caught up anymore if that one doesn't reach anyone anymore. I get caught up if the clickbait one doesn't. That 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 affects me for weeks. But if the one that's got an important message to it doesn't reach that many people, I'm just like, well, at least some people know it now. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess then if you... Let's say they brought you in, they brought you back to Class Clowns and they gave you five people competing in Class Clowns and they were just starting out. They had good content, um, but they were only doing stand up. So they were raw as, you know, they've mm. been doing this for a couple of months. Mm. How, what would you sit them down and say to them and say, look, this is what you need to do for the next few years, this is what you need to set up, this is how you need to go about it? Well, the first. I think it was T.I. oddly that said this. And he's so <laughs> right about it, which is that the first couple of years of being creative is finding your voice. Don't think about anything else on top of that. So I'd sit them down. If I had five minutes with them and I'd say, what are you passionate about? That's it. And as soon as they figure that out and, and you see it over and over again, I was talking to my producer the other day and she's funny and she's like jokey and, and you know, we have a good time together and you have those kind of like <laughs> kind of laughs that's like, you know, you're enjoying it. But I had tears in my eyes when she was just defending passionately musicals and why Cats is a shit musical and why – I can't even remember it because it's such an obscure musical. But I don't even – that's the thing. I don't even know that other musical, but I was enraptured in what she was saying because there was just so much energy behind it. 
and just purely the fact that she was she was just blurting out something that uh, she's thought a lot about. It's automatically funny. It's a good point. So I think people then need to really focus on what gives them that that fucking like huge yeah. passion, the thing that they can just be in, like yeah. the rapture. Exactly. Oh. Don't be a seal. Don't be one of these little piece of shit comedians that you see on Melbourne Comedy Gala that no one fucking laughs at. It is a captive audience and you can hear it in the second hour. Everybody's so tired because it's the same shit over and over again. And it's because, yeah, it works in a little five-minute spurt and they figured out that, like, that gets the right response and things like that. Don't react to the audience. Yeah. You tell the audience what you want to tell them. That's the difference. And, and that will bomb. That will bomb terribly, and that's the other thing that I think I'd tell them as well, is I think a major reason why I made it, and I suppose there's like another a bunch of other reasons why people make it and people don't, but something that I observe that other people haven't observed, that worked for me at least anyway, I, I would rather bomb uh, than just have like a, a nice, safe five-minute chuckle thing of like, <laughs> yeah, I have said something like that before and it's safe to talk about it and things. I would much rather the audience is like, oh, my God, at the end. Because you went out and tried something different. Yeah. Yeah. So then what mediums, once they find that, what mediums do you think they should be focusing on? What they're good at or something that just diversifies their skills? No, they should absolutely be focusing on YouTube. That's the medium that you should be focusing on. And purely because it's a, I mean, really, there's, you cannot, you cannot (laughs) say how important that shift from having to kiss a bunch of producers and executives asses to get your little five minutes on the footy show is. From that to now, where you can say whatever the fuck you want and if it doesn't work, you can reappropriate your message and... You, you can keep finding your voice on that because that's that's going to find your niche. So obviously, and, and because everybody's on it now, I think the average Australian, I think, now spends three to four hours on Facebook a day, which is disgusting. Crazy. But, you know, yeah. <laughs> but they do. Yeah. So, you know, fill it with something that's good. Yeah. What, um, what about working with fellow comedians? Like how – how much of people like Neil helped you develop? Well, Neil was inspirational as it gets, really, because I didn't even know where to look on YouTube when it first came out, and I just had him as a friend on Facebook because we did a stand-up show together a while ago. Not not together, but, you know, we're on the same open mic night or whatever. And all of a sudden, he just blew up with Australia in two minutes, and I just thought, <laughs> what the fuck? Like, two million people fucking saw him? And after that, he very quickly went on to having a very good career in in comedy when all these other, I don't want to be harsh here, but nah, screw it, they're losers. Lots of losers that were just, <laughs> like, but they're st- you know what I mean? They're still the same age. They're still performing to the same 15 people being like, ah, fuck off. Why? Why do it to yourself? So I think that was it. That, that Yeah, that, that guy... Uh, purely from the fact that he did it, I just thought, yeah, that's possible. It's possible to do. And that's what you should be focusing your time on, not focusing your time on impressing 15 drunks. Right. So he he 
pretty much just showed you the power of that that medium. He showed me the power of it. Mm. He showed me that it's it can happen. That it, it wasn't you know like some conspiracy theory of you know just a bunch of execs putting money behind Niger Heger or whatever. This guy was just in his fucking bedroom. He didn't even clean it properly. <laughs> You know, no one gives a shit. <laughs> it was so good. It's probably one of the all-time great videos. It's, uh, it's yeah, it was short, fun. sharp. It was exactly what the net loves. <laughs> um, I want to jump into some shorter, sharp, faster questions. Mm. What does your morning and and evening look like? Uh, every morning I get up. Until very recently. Uh, Every morning I get up and I go for a walk and then I just think about what I'm grateful for and then I come back and I uh, used to read at that point but I just realized I'm much more effective at working in the morning. So I stopped reading in the morning and then I just started to work and then till about 10.30 when I started to get tired, I then work out and then that gives me another two hours of energy and then I have lunch which is, you know, just a, I guess just salad and bread every single day. And then uh, throughout those those hours, you know, they're like 3.30-itis and stuff like that when you're not doing anything. That's when I just do the really menial tasks like answering emails and all that kind of stuff because my brain just it's just fuzzy at that point. <laughs> and then towards the night, I go back to writing. And then at, and then at nighttime, uh, when I start losing focus again, that's where I read now. Okay. And then when I go to bed, just think about what I'm grateful for again. Yeah. Add and repeat, wash, rinse and repeat. Forever. <laughs> Do you have a day where you give yourself a break? No, just sometimes life life just gives you breaks, I think. Yeah. Life forces things on you all the time. And I'm like you, I guess. I'm just a workaholic and, you know, when my girls just, my girlfriend's just going like, how would you like to go to Fiji for a day? <laughs> Fuck, not really, but all right. But it's a good thing. It's yeah. a good thing to do. What, uh, what are you most proud of? Uh, the rib thing. I'm really proud of the rib thing. <laughs> <laughs> You know what, actually, I'd, I'd say emotionally that is. Mentally, the thing that I'm most proud of is the impact that I had in the last election. It is quantifiable that I was able to change tens of thousands of people's votes. Was this from them just voting or from something else that you did? Well, you know, like when when you just look back at Facebook data and stuff like that, um, the, the results that were given back was that my ad was the most effective at getting people to enroll wow. into out of all of them um, by a mile. And then on top of that, to this day, heaps and heaps of people come up to me and say, until you get put out that Medicare ad, I was just going to draw a dick on the ballot. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> you, must, you must love that. You must love it's, it. It's great because it's, you know, yeah, you're shaping the world into a better place and I don't think that many people... I mean, you know what, actually, there's a quiet dignity. I, it's, it's really... Teachers do it. I'm basically that. I'm just a teacher, I guess, to 300,000 people. But, you know, <laughs> you, you know like, the, there's very few people, I think, that actually get an opportunity to shape the world and it's so much more rewarding than having people clap. <laughs> I think that's a good point. What um, Are there any particular lessons that you've held with you to this day that your parents have taught you, whether directly or indirectly, um, that I guess that you've held with you? And I'll give you an example. Like, I think with my, my dad never really said it, but I sort of 
saw hard work. You know, he was mm. always working. And maybe he was a no, workaholic. Wog families work. Yeah. They work. And, uh, you know, like I speak to people about when their parents used to come home and it's, it's, it's starkly different to what, what my dad did. Like I, don't, I, I remember there was times asking my, asking my mum, like, when's your dad coming home? <laughs> that sort of shit. But is yeah, there anything that's that your memory from child? That <laughs> says it all, doesn't it? Yeah. Is there anything that stuck with you? You know what? I'd put exactly the same thing into that category, and it, it is that. It's just because my mum's Croatian, okay, my dad's Australian, and just Aussies don't work as hard. They just don't. They don't. Uh, and you could see it because when you go to Croatia, the, I mean. Along the coast, there was no soil. Basically, what they did to grow crops was to crush rocks and then sprinkle it in and make that fine powder soil, which was the shittest quality soil you could imagine. <laughs> you know, in England, you just throw it in the ground. And that bang. was it. You're done. Yeah. And it's so good. That's why it's, it's probably like that here. Everything's yeah. just so fucking yeah. easy. And I, think, and I think the other thing as well is, I think coming from a Wog family as well, I, I think they're they're quite aware that they're stupid, <laughs> and so they're constantly trying to improve themselves. Yeah, that's why education is paramount. Yeah, my my parents bled for us to go to uh, private schools. We were lucky mm. that you know my brother had a scholarship, and then because of that, we sort of got a I got a scholarship. Plus, they gave me like a general, you know, thing, bit of sport, bit of mm. you know, you do a test, and they're like, oh, okay, fifty percent off. Yeah, like, yep, 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 yep. <laughs> Otherwise, I would have been going to the Christian Brothers College, which uh, was just some terrible Catholic fucking school. Yeah, a lot of chairs getting thrown at teachers and knives. Yeah, pretty much. No, you're you're pretty right about that. And I look at all the people who who went to that. And uh, there's a few that stand out, but I think that's more to do with their family than the school. Exactly, yeah. No, that's Um, definitely true. If you've got shit parents and you go to a shit school, like that's that's the end of your life really, isn't it? You're (laughs) You're done. That's a wrap. You're in a shit place. (laughs) What um, If you were to start with nothing, start all over again, how would you do it? As in no followers or no no, no no house? (laughs) Nothing, but you, you still maintain the knowledge that you have today. Couch surf, uh, borrow a camera. Okay. That's all I'd do. Any, anything that I could gather around that from that point is nice pass and parcel. But actually, Louis C.K. was talking about it the other day and he said if there was a homeless man with a full head of hair, I would change positions with him in an instant because he'd come out on stage. He'd probably just talk about like money for a chicken sandwich, be booed off. And that'd be the end of his career. He'd just completely disappear, but he'd have the knowledge of what it actually takes to be a comedian and he'd just be able to work his way up again. Wow. Last question for you. If you could have a billboard anywhere in Australia, where would it be and what would it say? Uh, Where would it be? It would be... Probably along I don't know, just any any major highway, obviously that's where you want the most exposure. I don't know why I'm thinking about just being like uh, M five or M Chevron. Uh but, but one of those. And yeah, I honestly think that that is the 
best piece of advice I can give anyone, which is just this. Three words, read self-help. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Look, um, how do people find you on social media? Just friendly Geordies. On everything, right? Everything. You got? Do you use Instagram? Barely. Barely. But Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, pretty, pretty active. Not just, so much just YouTube and Facebook. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty much it. I'm more active on Instagram than Twitter. Uh, what have we got coming up? Where can people find your content other than YouTube? Do you uh, do you have a stand special or something like that? No, uh, I'm in talks with Stan at the moment and developing a show. But uh, again, like these things are just people always say this kind of stuff, don't they? Just like, <laughs> I'm, I'm in process of a show and stuff. But I, I honestly don't care if it goes through or not because it's just the age we're living in. You don't need to you kiss don't. ass anymore. Yeah. So that's pretty much it. It's just YouTube and I'd be very happy to just keep making YouTube videos for the rest of my life. I'd be very happy to do that. And if people can, if they wanted to find your... Uh, stand-up shows, you mainly put that on uh, Facebook. Events Facebook. Yeah. Okay. That's all you need. Um, any last requests or parting words for the audience? No, this is really... Uh, you know what, actually? Yep, Jordan, you're the best interviewer I've ever had. <laughs> By a mile. Really? By a mile. Really? By a wide, 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 wide margin. Fuck, I'm getting tired of asking those same things. which is like, what's your favourite colour? What's your favourite <laughs> band? <laughs> It's honestly like most people just watched, like looked at how Disney Adventures interviews One Direction and were like, yeah, that's as good as it gets. Yeah. So, yeah, no, th- that's my parting wisdom to that is you guys should keep listening to this podcast <laughs> because it's actually very insightful. Thank you. That's very kind. Uh, look, this has been great. Uh, we'll put all the links in the show notes for everyone, but thanks a lot. No worries. My pleasure. Thanks for making it this far. Before you run off, I've got a quick request for you. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure you subscribe. The reason being is it will give you priority access and help your fellow-minded listeners find the Uncommon Podcast. The second thing and probably the most important thing I'd like you to do is share the episode with someone who will enjoy it. You can easily share through the podcast app to social media or through messaging apps. This will go a long way in helping us build our audience, which will help both you and I, I guess, get more esteemed guests on the show. Don't forget to like us on Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, or Instagram. It's just at Neural. Each week we have promos on the episodes. But until next time, thanks for listening. Listening.